0: Chapter Twelve, Part One of More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. More Love to Thee, The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice, by George Prentice chapter 12 part 1 the trial of faith 1871 to 1872 1 two years of suffering its nature and causes spiritual conflicts ill health faith a gift to be won by prayer deathbed of dr skinner visit to philadelphia daily food how to read the bible so as to love it more letters of sympathy and counsel prayer for holiness brings suffering perils of human friendship if in the life of mrs prentice the year eighteen seventy was marked with a white stone as one of great happiness the two following years were marked by unusual and very acute suffering perhaps something of this was sooner or later To have been looked for in the experience of one whose organization both physical and mental was so intensely sensitive tragical elements are latent in every human life especially in the life of woman and the finer qualities of her nature her vast capacity of loving and of self-sacrifice her peculiar cares and trials as well as outward events are always tending to bring these elements into action. What scenes surpassing fable, scenes both bright and sad, belong to the secret history of many a quiet woman's heart? Then, our modern civilization, while placing woman higher in some respects than she ever stood before, at the same time makes her pay a heavy price for her advantages. In the very process of enlarging her sphere and opportunities, whether intellectual or practical and of educating her for their duties does it not also expose her to moral shocks and troubles and lacerations of feeling almost peculiar to our times nor is religion wholly exempt from the spirit that rules the age or the hour there is a close though often very subtle connection between the two just as there is between the working of nature and grace in the individual soul the phase of her history upon which mrs prentice was now entering cannot be fully understood without considering it in this light. the melancholy that was deep-rooted in her temperament and her tender all-absorbing sympathies made her very quick to feel whatever of pain or sorrow pervaded the social atmosphere about her the thought of what others were suffering would intrude even upon her rural retreat among the mountains and render her jealous of her own rest and joy and then in all her later years the mystery of existence weighed upon her heart more and more heavily in a nature so deep and so finely strung great happiness and great sorrow are divided by a very thin partition but spiritual trials and conflict gave its keenest edge to the suffering of these years such trials and conflict indeed were not wanting in the earliest stages of her religious life nor had they been wanting all along its course but they came now with a power and in a manner almost wholly new and while not essentially different from those which have afflicted god's children in all ages they are yet traceable in no small degree to special causes and circumstances in her own case early in eighteen seventy she had fallen in with a book entitled god's furnace and a few months later had made the acquaintance of its author a remarkable woman of great strength of character of deep religious experience and full of zeal for god her book was introduced to the christian public by a distinguished presbyterian clergyman and was highly recommended by other eminent divines By means of this work, as well as by correspondence and an occasional visit, she exerted for a time a good deal of influence over Mrs. Prentice. At first this influence seemed to be stimulating and healthful, but it was not so in the end. The points of sympathy and the points of difference between them will come out so plainly in Mrs. Prentice's letters that they need not be indicated here it would not be easy to imagine two women more utterly dissimilar except in love to god devotion to their saviour and delight in prayer these formed the tie between them miss bank's last days were sadly clouded by mental trouble and disease a little book called holiness through faith published about this time was another disturbing influence in mrs Prentice's religious life this work and others of a similar character presented a somewhat novel theory of sanctification a theory zealously taught and which excited considerable attention in certain circles of the christian community it was in brief this as we are justified by faith without the deeds of the law even so are we sanctified by faith in other words as we obtain forgiveness and acceptance with god by a simple act of trust in christ so by simple trust in christ we may attain personal holiness it is as easy for divine grace to save us at once from the power as from the guilt of sin for more than thirty years mrs prentice had made the christian life a matter of earnest thought and study The subject of personal holiness in particular had occupied her attention. Whatever promised to shed new light upon it, she eagerly read. Her own convictions, however, were positive and decided, and, although at first inclined to accept the doctrine of holiness through faith, further reflection satisfied her that, as taught by its special advocates, it was contrary to Scripture and experience, and was fraught with mischief. Certain unhappy tendencies and results of the doctrine, both at home and abroad, as shown in some of its teachers and disciples, also forced her to this conclusion. Folly of some sort is indeed one of the fatal rocks upon which all overstrained theories of sanctification are almost certain to be wrecked. And in excitable, crude natures, the evil is apt to take the form either of mental extravagance, perhaps derangement or of silly if not still worse conduct but while deeply impressed with the mischief of these perfectionist theories mrs prentice felt the heartiest sympathy with all earnest seekers after holiness and was grieved by what seemed to her harsh or unjust criticisms upon them what were her own matured views on the subject will appear in the sequel it is enough to say here that holiness through faith and other works in advocacy of the same or similar doctrines meeting her as they did when under a severe mental strain and touching her at a most sensitive point for holiness was a passion of her whole soul had for a time a more or less bewildering effect she kept pondering the questions they raised until the native hue of her piety Hitherto so resolute and cheerful became sickly o'er with the pale cast of thought, the inward conflict which has been referred to she described sometimes in the language of the old divines as the want of God's sensible presence or of conscious nearness to and communion with Christ, sometimes as a state of spiritual deprivation or aridity, and then again as a work of the evil one. She laid much stress upon this last point. Her belief in the existence of Satan and his influence over human souls was as vivid as that of Luther. She did not hesitate to accuse him of being the fermenter and, in a sense, the author of her distress. The warnings of the Bible against his wiles she accepted as in full force still and she could offer with all her heart and with no doubt as to the literal meaning of its closing words the petition of the old litany that it may please thee to strengthen such as do stand and to comfort and help the weak-hearted and to raise up those who fall and finally to beat down satan under our feet the coming trouble seems to have cast its shadow across her path even before the close of eighteen seventy Early in 1871, it was upon her in power. Her letters contain very interesting and pathetic allusions to this experience, but they do not explain it, nor is it easy to explain. In the absence of certain inciting causes from without, it would never perhaps have assumed a serious form. But these sharp spiritual trials are generally complicated with external causes or occasions ill health morbid constitutional tendencies loss of sleep wearing cares and responsibilities sudden calamities worldly loss or disappointment and the like it is in the midst of such conditions that pious souls are most apt to be assailed by gloom and despondency and yet distressing inward struggles and depression arise sometimes in the midst of outward prosperity and even of unusual religious enjoyment in truth among all the phenomena of the christian life none are more obscure or harder to seize than those connected with spiritual conflict and temptation they belong largely to that terra incognita the dark background of human consciousness where are the primal forces of the soul and the mustering place of good and evil A certain mystery enshrouds all profound religious emotion, whether of the peace of God that passeth all understanding or of the anguish that comes of spiritual desertion. Those who are in the midst of the battle or bear its scars will instantly recognize an experience like their own. To all others, it must needs remain inexplicable. Even in the natural life, our deepest joys and sorrows are mostly inarticulate. The great poets come nearest to giving them utterance, but how much the reality always surpasses the descriptions of the poet's pen, even though it be the pen of a Shakespeare or a Goethe. Mrs. Prentice never afterward referred to this fiery trial without strong emotion. It terrified her to think of any one she loved as exposed to it, and not to speak of other classes, she seemed to regard those as specially exposed to it who had just passed, or were passing, through an unusually rich and happy religious experience. One of her last letters, addressed to a dear Christian friend, related to this very point. Here are a few sentences from it. I want to give you emphatic warning that you were never in such danger in your life. This is the language of bitter bitter experience and is not mine alone leighton says the great pirate lets the empty ships go by and robs the full ones i do hope you will go on your way rejoicing unto the perfect day hold on to christ with your teeth if your hands get crippled he alone is stronger than satan he alone knows all sore temptations mean this certainly is strong language and will sound very strange and extravagant in many ears and yet is it really stronger language than that often used by inspired prophets and apostles or that of augustine bernard luther hooker fenelon bunyan and of many saintly women whose names adorn the annals of piety strong as it is it will find an echo in hearts That have been assailed by the fiery darts of the adversary, and have learned to cry unto God out of the depths of mental anguish and gloom, while others still in the midst of the conflict will perhaps be helped and comforted to read of the manner in which Mrs. Prentice passed through it. Nothing in the story of her religious life is more striking and beautiful. Her faith never failed, she glorified God in the midst of it all. She thanked her lord and master for taking her in hand, and begged him not to spare her for her crying, if so be she might thus learn to love him more and grow more like him. And what is especially noteworthy, her own suffering, instead of paralyzing, as severe suffering sometimes does, active sympathy with the sorrows and trials of others, had just the contrary effect. How soon, she wrote to a friend our dear lord presses our experiences into his own service how many lessons he teaches us in order to make us sons or daughters of consolation to another friend she wrote i did not perceive any selfishness in you during our interview and you need not be afraid that i am so taken up with my own affairs as to feel no sympathy with you in yours what are we made for If not to bear each other's burdens, and this ought to be the effect of trial upon us, to make us, in the very midst of it, unusually interested in the interests of others. This is the softening, sanctifying tendency of tribulation, and he who lacks it needs harder blows. At no period of her life was she more helpful to afflicted and tempted souls, in visits to sick rooms and dying beds and in letters to friends in trouble, her heart, like the noble tree that is wounded itself when it gives the balm, poured itself forth in the most tender, soothing ministrations. It seemed at times fairly surcharged with love. Meanwhile, she kept her pain to herself. Only a few intimate friends, whose prayers she solicited, knew what a struggle was going on in her soul to all others she appeared very much as in her happiest days it is a little curious she wrote to a young friend that suffering as i really am nobody sees it always bright people say to me to my amazement i can add nothing but love of which i am so full that i keep giving off in thunder and lightning the preceding account would be incomplete without adding that the state of her health during this period combined with a severe pressure of varied and perplexing cares served to deepen the distress caused by her spiritual trials whatever view may be taken of the origin and nature of such trials it is certain that physical depression and the mental strain that comes of anxious careworn thoughts if not their source yet tend always greatly to intensify them in the present case the trials would perhaps Not have existed without the cares and the ill health while the latter even in the entire absence of the former would have occasioned severe suffering to mrs frederick field new york january the eighth eighteen seventy one if i need make any apology for writing you so often it must be this i cannot help it having dwelt long in an obscure oftentimes dark valley and then passed out into a bright plane of life, I am full of tender yearnings over other souls, and would gladly spend my whole time and strength for them. I long especially to see your feet established on an immovable rock. It seems to me that God is preparing you for great usefulness by the fiery trial of your faith. They learn in suffering what they teach in song. Oh, how true this is! Who is so fitted to sing praises to Christ as he who has learned him in hours of bereavement, disappointment, and despair? What you want is to let your intellect go overboard if need be, and to take what God gives just as a little child takes it, without money and without price. Faith is his, unbelief ours. No process of reasoning can soothe a mother's empty, aching heart, or bring Christ into it to fill up all that great waste room but faith can and faith is his gift a gift to be won by prayer prayer persistent patient determined prayer that will take no denial prayer that if it goes away one day unsatisfied keeps on saying well there's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow god may wait to be gracious and i can wait to receive but receive I must and will. This is what the Bible means when it says, The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. It does not say the eager, the impatient take it by force, but the violent, those who declare, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. This is all heart, not head work. Do I know what I am talking about? yes i do but my intellect is of no use to me when my heart is breaking i must get down on my knees and own that i'm less than nothing seek god not joy consent to suffer not cry for relief and how transcendentally good he is when he brings me down to that low place and there shows me that that self-renouncing self-despairing spot is just the one Where he will stoop to meet me, my dear friend, don't let this great tragedy of sorrow fail to do everything for you. It is a dreadful thing to lose children, but a lost sorrow is the most fearful experience life can bring. I feel this so strongly that I could go on writing all day. It has been said that the intent of sorrow is to toss us on to God's promises. Alas these waves too often toss us away out to sea where neither sun nor stars appear for many days i pray earnestly that it may not be so with you among mrs Prentice's most beloved and honoured friends in new york was the rev dr thomas h skinner the first pastor of the mercer street church and then for nearly a quarter of a century professor in the Union Theological Seminary. His attachment to her, as also that of his family, was very strong. Dr. Skinner had been among the leaders of the so-called New School branch of the Presbyterian Church. He was a preacher of great spiritual power, an able, large-hearted theologian, and a man of most attractive personal and social qualities. He was artless as a little child, full of enthusiasm for the best things and a pattern of saintly goodness it used to be said that every stone and rafter in the church of the covenant had felt the touch of his prayers this venerable servant of god entered into his rest on the first of february eighteen seventy one in the eightieth year of his age in a letter to her cousin rev george s Payson. Mrs. Prentice thus refers to his last hours. You will hear at dear Dr. Skinner's funeral to-morrow his dying testimony, and I want you to know that it was whispered in my enraptured ear that I was privileged to spend the whole of Tuesday and all he lived of Wednesday at his side, and that mine were the hands that closed his eyes and composed his features in death. What blissful moments were mine as I saw his sainted soul fly home, how near heaven seemed and still seems to miss e s Gilman, new york february the seventh eighteen seventy one i am glad to hear that you have such an interesting class and yet more glad that you see how much christian culture they need i am astonished every day by confessions made to me by young people as to their woeful state before god and do hope that all this is to prepare me to write something for them i began a series of articles in the association monthly called twilight talks which may perhaps prove to be in a degree what you want but still there is much land untraversed meanwhile i want to encourage you in your work by letting you feel my deep sympathy with you in it and to assure you that nothing will be so blessed to your scholars as personal holiness in yourself. We must practice what we preach and give ourselves wholly to Christ if we want to persuade others to do it. I am saying feebly what I feel very deeply and constantly. You will rejoice with me that I had the rare privilege of being with dear Dr. Skinner during his last hours. If you have a copy of Watts and Select Hymns, Read the 106th hymn of the second book, beginning at the second verse. Lord, when I quit this earthly stage, and fancy, if you can, the awe and the delight with which I heard him repeat those nine verses, as expressive of his dying love to Christ. I feel that God is always too good to me, but to have him make me witness of that inspiring scene humbles me greatly in how many ways he seeks us now smiling now caressing now reproving now thwarting and always doing the very best thing for us that infinite love and goodness can let us love him better and better every day and count no work for him too small and unnoticed to be wrought thankfully whenever he gives the opportunity i hope i am learning to honour the day of small things to mrs humphrey new york march the fourteenth eighteen seventy one so you have at last broken the ice and made out after almost a year to write that promised letter well it was worth waiting for and welcome when it came and awakened in me an enthusiasm about seeing the dear creature of which i hardly thought my old heart was capable that statement is an affectation my heart isn't old, and never will be. Our plan now is, if all prospers, to go to Philadelphia on Friday afternoon, spend the night with you, Saturday with Mrs. Kirkbride, and Sunday and part of Monday with you. I hope you mean to let us have a quiet little time with you, unbeknown to strangers, whom I dread and shrink from. March the 28th. What a queer way we womankind have of confiding in each other with perfectly reckless disregard of consequences! It is a mercy that men are, for the most part, more prudent, though not half so delightful. Well, I'm ever so glad I have seen you in your home, only I found you more frail in the way of health than I found you fair. We hear that your husband preached splendidly, as of course we knew he would and the next exchange i shall be there to hear as well as to see coming out of the cars yesterday i picked up a daily food dropped i suppose by its owner sarah of philadelphia given her by miss h in eighteen fifty three it has travelled all over europe and is therefore no doubt precious to her who thus made it her friend now how shall i get it to her can you learn her address, or shall I write to her at a venture without one? I know how I felt when I once lost mine. It was given me in 1835, and has gone with me ever since, whenever I have journeyed, as I was so happy as to find it again. I think if I have the pleasure of restoring it to its owner, she will feel glad that it did not fall into profane hands. I thought it right to look through it in order to get some clue, if possible, to its destination. I fancy it was the silent comforter of a wife who went abroad with her husband for his health and came home a widow. God bless her, whoever she is, for she evidently believes in and loves him. What sort of a world can it be to those who don't? Remember me affectionately to yourself and your dear ones, and now we've got a going, let's go ahead april the first what a pity it is that one can't have a separate language with which to address each beloved one it seems so mean to use the same words to two or three or four people one loves so differently now about my visit to you one reason why i did not stay longer was your looking worn out when i am feeling so dragged visitors are a great wear and tear to me "'but I am afraid my selfishness would have got the upper hand of me "'if that were the whole story. "'I can't put into words the perfect horror I have "'of being made into a somebody. "'It fairly hurts me, and if I had to stay a week with you "'and the host of people you had about you, "'I should have shrimmed up into the size of a pea. "'I can't deny having streaks of conceit, "'but I know enough about myself to make my rational moments bid me keep in the background, and it excruciates me to be set up on a pinnacle. So don't blame me if I fled in terror, and that I am looking forward to your visit, when I hope to have delightful powwows with you all by ourselves. I am glad that little book can be returned, and I will mail it to you. I couldn't send it without a loving word. It seemed to fall so providentially into my hands and knock so at the door of my heart in what strange ways people get introduced to each other and how subtle are the influences that excite a bond of sympathy what do you do with girls who fall madly and desperately in love with you do you laugh at them or scold them or love them or what i used to do just such crazy things and i'm not sure i never do them now Did you ever live in a queerer world than this is? To Miss E. S. Gilman, New York, April 29, 1871. The subject of your letter is one that greatly interests me, and I should be glad to get more light upon it myself. As far as I know, those who live apart from the world, communing with God and working for him chiefly in prayer, have least temptation to wandering and distracted thoughts and are more devout and spiritual than those of us who live more in the world. But it stands to reason that we can't all live so. The outside work must go on, and somebody must do it. But, of course, we have the hardest time, since while in the world, we must not be of it. I have come of late to think that both classes are needed, the contemplative and the active, and God does certainly take the latter aside now and then, as you suggest, by sickness and in other ways, to set them thinking. Holiness is not a mere abstraction. It is praying and loving and being consecrate, but it is also the doing kind deeds, speaking friendly words, being in a crowd when we thirst to be alone, and so on and so on. The study of Christ's life on earth reveals him to us as incessantly busy, yet taking special seasons for prayer. It seems to me that we should imitate him in this respect, and when we find ourselves particularly pressed by outward cares and duties, break short off and withdraw from them till a spiritual tone returns. For we can do nothing well unless we do it consciously for Christ, and this consciousness sometimes gets jostled out of us when we undertake to do too much the more perfectly he is formed in us the more light we shall get on every path of duty the less likely to go astray from the happy medium of not all contemplation not all activity and to have him thus to dwell in us we are led to pray by his own last prayer for us on earth when he asked for the i in them Let us pray for each other that this may be our blessed lot. Nothing will fit us for life but this. In ourselves we do nothing but err and sin. In Him we are complete. End of chapter 12, part 1